Holy Spirit, now move among us through the words you have inspired and the testimonies of our lives. Move among us and help us remember who we are, your church, gathered from people of every tribe, every nation, every language, and every culture, and made one people together in Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the scripture today. The first scripture is from Matthew 22, 37 through 39. He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Ronnie Barksdale and I've been a member here at Chapelwood for nine years. Today is, is Chapelwood's Laity Sunday. I and my friends here have been asked to speak to you today about the different aspects of worship. As you've just heard from our first scripture reading of, scripture reading of Matthew 22, 37 through 39, when asked by the Pharisees, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus' answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but the second part of that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, seems to be the easier of the two to understand and the one that's most clear when first considered. But what does it really mean to love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul? For me, it started in my mind when I was a teenager. It meant getting to know God as my creator, the one who sacrificed his son on the cross to pay a debt for my sin when I didn't deserve it. He loves me unconditionally and has made a place for me in his kingdom. Although I was grateful to God for this wonderful gift of salvation and acceptance, I still had a lot of questions. So I asked and I allowed God to transform my mind. I started to study. I found other believers to study with, and we explored questions like, who is God? What is God's character? Why does he love us, and what does he want from us? Each answer I found was pretty simple. Love. God is love. He wants to love us. He wants, us to, be lo he wants to be love in return. And he, and he created us to love him and to love others. Thank you. These answers were just answers until, well, they weren't answers, just answers anymore. Funny thing is, as I began to explore with my mind the love answer, God was working on my heart. God was teaching me how to love him and how to show his love to others. I was learning how to put on the character of Christ, and I was starting to feel even more grateful than before. As I studied, I changed, and I began to feel a desire to talk to God about everything in my life. I started to pray regularly, and eventually started to realize that I actually wanted to return the love that God had given me. Things God asked me to do were no longer something I had to do to be good, but something I wanted to do because it made me happy to make God happy. Loving God has become a heart thing. He had transformed the way I thought about everything. 
the way I acted and reacted to life, and the way I loved others. He taught me that when I put the love of God first, all the rest just seems to fall into place. So back to the original question. How do I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Here are some things that I've learned and that I do to remind me to honor the great commandment. I wear crosses and display crosses in my home. This helps to remind me of who I am and whose I am. I preset my radio in the car to KSVJ so I can listen to Christian music instead of subjecting myself to possible junk on another radio station. I make a daily habit of doing devotional, praying and asking God in prayer to open my eyes to something new each day. I do a Bible study with other believers and I participate in a small group. I look for opportunities to serve and use whatever resources God has blessed me with, be it time, money, or insider wisdom that I can share. I volunteer time working with people and organizations that support the things that God loves. Simply put, I've formed a relationship with God, and I've tried to let all I do, everything I, everything I think, I say, and everything I feel, I let that pass through my God filter. Because when I love God, I love Him with all that I am, my heart, my soul, and my mind. I'm worshiping and loving God. Second scripture reading comes today from Micah 6, 8. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. The word of God for the people of God. Sometimes when you think you don't know what the truth is, it will reveal itself when someone puts you on the spot. Twice recently I learned something about myself from having to search quickly for the right answer. If you're under enough pressure to answer, you may even resort to unfiltered truth. I discovered, for example, that the worship I practice when I walk out these doors Sunday noon is built largely on a foundation of justice. My first encounter, we were visiting with friends who are very intentional conversationalists. Not much small talk happens in their presence. When the conversation fell to silence one day, he looked at me and asked, what would you say is the one word that best describes the passion that moves you? Caught off guard by his question, I sorted a few things through my mind, and at last, in desperation, I blurted out, underdog. I surprised and embarrassed myself by what seemed like a flip response to a serious question. So I went on to explain my professional career in social work, community charity, and public higher education, whether at the State Welfare Department, United Way, or at our excellent community college. I have always found myself in settings that offered service to people who could be described as underdogs in our world. My second encounter, it happened when two young men in last year's confirmation class interviewed me. In fact, I had a little lead time on that one. But still, when asked what your favorite Bible verse is after going through Kate's year-long disciple class, you feel some pressure to justify your answer, or at least to give an educated answer. Preparing for the interview, I read a lot, thought a lot, memorized a few citations, yet never quite came to a conclusion. At last, 
face to face with Peter and Zane, the question came, what is your favorite Bible verse, Mr. Fowler? Surprisingly and without stuttering around, I told them confidently that it was Micah 6, 8. It was one of several I had considered, but the prophet's words have always struck me as the original golden rule. As I told my young inquisitors, it makes the version offered by Jesus sort of a golden rule for dummies, if you will. If you can't discern the meaning and from Micah's version of what God requires of us, just try to treat others as you would have them treat you. If you do that, you will be doing what the Lord requires of you, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Although my response about the underdog was a little flippant, it now seems to me consistent with the answer I gave to Zane and Peter. Now, mercy is comparatively easy for us to, in, to show in that we can show it in discrete acts of generosity, forgiveness, kindness, and ministering to individuals we encounter on the road to Jericho. Do it, pat yourself on the back, and you're done. But justice often requires that we go beyond individual acts of mercy to use our talent and influence to repair the conditions that assign people to those categories we refer to as the least, the last, and the lost. It often requires actions taken by the whole community of God's people. We must work in concert to create and sustain change to make a better world for us all. Now, as an American, I am blessed to have a small share of power in a constitutional democracy. It can be used solely for selfish ends, or it can be applied to that never-ending task we have of striving for perfection in the kingdom of God. Thus, I feel a duty to use my vote with a sense of stewardship. I confess that I sometimes use it for selfish ends, but not when I'm right with myself and right with the instruction of the prophet. I invest my vote and candidates and programs that seem best suited for moving our country and the world in the direction of justice. Children are often the focus of these programs simply because it is so much easier for us to love children unconditionally, to understand that their hunger, neglect, sickness, and poverty may be the fault of their parents, but it's not their fault. They are helpless to improve their situation. Nevertheless, we get caught in the web of concern that we may be helping undeserving parents who should take more responsibility, who should work harder, who should take more interest in their children's learning, who should move to a location where jobs are available, should, should, should. But their adult parents were children too, and they are always children of God. I suggest that to the extent that we are made in God's image, we should extend to them our grace and recognize that children who are denied their fundamental needs will grow up with wounds that prepare them to take a place in a new generation of the least, the last, and the lost. Now, it's easy to rationalize the self-serving vote. America is in love with the idea of trickle-down economics. If the well-to-do take care of themselves, their spending and job creation will trickle down to improve the lives of everyone. A rising tide lifts all boats. But justice is not something that God ever intended to trickle down. 
Amos gave prophecy to the notion that God is much less interested in our songs and sacrifices at the altar than he is with justice. And it never trickles. Quoting Amos, justice rolls down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The Christian who practices that every day is worshiping the way the Lord intends. No, actually the way the Lord requires. Third scripture comes to us today from Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Tammy. When I think of the word evangelism, I think of preaching and telling stories from the Bible. Today, I am here to tell you my story about the preschool, the children, my parents, and the staff. I thought about what I was going to talk about and how I was going to how I was going to share with you what God has led me to do here at Chapelwood Preschool Ministries. My job as the leader of the preschool. I'm here to live the example of faith-based Christian morals. I'm here to touch the lives of these little people and their parents. I share weekly at chapel with a devotion book for preschoolers that God loves you no matter the color, the age, or the sex. That we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. I let each of them know, along with my staff, that God listens to our prayers and he helps us be better people and live the life of a good Christian. When we pray to God, he listens. He may not always answer our prayers right away, but he will always be in our hearts. I want our children at the preschool to know that God is real and that he loves us. I love doing chapel at the preschool. I can share and show them God loves them and will always protect them if you give him your heart and you pray. I asked the question this week in chapel, who made the birds? God did, Miss Tammy. You already knew that, I answered back. You're right, Logan. This is my story and this is my passion, to show these children no matter what, God loves them and he's always here for us. In the past years, in the past few years, we've had several families join the church, and I love seeing the involvement that they have when they come to Chapelwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for letting me share my passion and faith about the preschool at Chapelwood. As of today, we have 113 children in our program. God has truly blessed us with many new families. Thank you.